Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man. That state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects, vast and cool and unsympathetic, regarded our planet with each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert, I'm your host, Ryan Gable. 
And you are listening to The Secret Teachings Radio, airing Monday through Friday, five nights a week, on Ground Zero Dot Radio and the Aftermath FM app. You can listen to The Secret Teachings after the show on our website at www.thesecretteachings.info or anywhere else you listen to radio shows or podcasts. Just search The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com or tstradio at protonmail.com. Those are the two emails. You can find our affiliate sponsors on our website. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook. Search tst underscore underscore radio. That's our handle on Twitter and our Facebook is facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. We also have our Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Christmas special deals for our archive subscription. And for my digital books on the website, you can still take advantage of those until the end of the year. Really appreciate everybody who has bought a book or subscribed to help us out, to keep us on air. We don't have sponsors. We don't have advertisers. They give us a bunch of money and tell us what we can and can't say. So it is because of you that we can do what we do Monday through Friday. It's because of you that I can take the time every single day, Sunday through Saturday, to sit down, to read, to research, and to try to put things together in a way that hopefully you haven't heard on other radio shows, news broadcasts, etc. I really enjoyed our Friday night show, if you missed it, December 2nd, 2022, called Bollywood. I highly encourage you to go and listen to that show because I think that show is what makes this show that particular episode is what makes this show unique and that we uncover the esoteric and the underlying occult themes just like Clyde does on Ground Zero and we do that here on The Secret Teachings as well. Tonight's broadcast might not seem so esoteric or so occult but there certainly is an esoteric and an occult element to it. There are so many different avenues, so many different angles that get us to the same location. So we have a lot of different places we could start tonight. It is Monday, December 5th, 2022. I'm glad to be with you. I'm glad that you're here tonight, or maybe in the morning, depending on where you're listening around the world. Let's start with this article. This is from The Intercept. Twitter thrills far-right trolls by silencing left-wing voices. I want to be really clear. I am not a Republican. I am not a Democrat. In fact, I'm not even sure if I'm an independent. Now, I did register as a Republican to vote, but I had been an independent before that because I like to listen to both sides and I like to see what people have to say. And likewise, it might not seem like it, but there's a lot of left-right type of mindsets and ideologies in esoterica and in the worlds of the paranormal and things that are perceived as, you know, perhaps satanic by some people, new age by others. There's a lot of that same left-right bias, not necessarily a political bias, but there's that bias of what you can and can't talk about, what groups you do and don't fit into, etc. And I think it's important to recognize that it's not just a political thing. It's a divisive thing. It's an ego-based thing. So keep that in mind as I read through some of this article to start. The Intercept, November 29th, 
Twitter thrills far-right trolls by silencing left-wing voices. The headline of that article presumes and it implies and it states as a matter of fact that anyone who is getting any kind of enjoyment out of certain left-wing activists or celebrities or politicians being banned on Twitter or being suspended on Twitter for doing things that maybe they do, maybe they don't violate terms, maybe they do or don't violate agreements. But it assumes, it presumes, it suggests, it implies, it demands you believe that anybody who says, well, good riddance to Kathy Griffin. I mean, she was violating the the terms and the agreements. Uh, she was violating the standards of, of Twitter, and she was. That automatically puts you into the category of being a far-right troll. So if you disagree once again with left-leaning ideology, politically speaking, then you must be a right-wing troll. You don't even have the respect or the dignity They don't show you the respect or the dignity to even allow you to just be a right-wing extremist anymore. Now you're just a troll if you have any point of view that is contrary to what The Intercept says, and this is the general line of left-wing media in particular. Anything the left-wing media says or believes, if you disagree with it or if you question it, you're not just a right-wing extremist. You are a far-right troll. This is how you craft narratives. This is also how you persuade people to support you and to oppress other people in the name of all those nice-sounding words like equality and justice and etc. And this is also how you influence people to vote and support you during an election, which could potentially prevent open discourse, if not intentionally being done through the direct censorship, pulling down of information, etc. This is how you essentially manipulate, we have to be careful of the words we use, perhaps rig, perhaps influence in a way that is illegitimate and that is immoral, the outcome of an election in a democracy within a republic. Here's what the article says. Elon Musk claims to be fighting for free speech in America, but the social network's new owner appears to be overseeing a purge of left-wing activists from the platform. Several prominent anti-fascist organizers, obviously they're anti-fascists, so they can't be fascists, they can't be extremists, they're anti-fascist. That means they're all good people. Several prominent anti-fascist organizers and journalists have had their accounts suspended in the past week, now the past two weeks from when this article came out, after right-wing operatives appealed directly to Musk to ban them and far-right internet trolls flooded Twitter's complaint system with false reports about terms of service violations. Now, there's so much irony in that statement that I could do an entire show just on this article. Anti-fascist organizers, that means these are the good guys. 
and they've had their accounts suspended because right-wing operatives, i.e. the fascists, appealed directly to Elon Musk, who was the god of electrical vehicles and the god of transhumanism, and still is to some extent. But they appealed to this man who now says he'll support a Republican for president. This is the new Adolf Hitler, apparently. And just because they appealed to him, the implication is Musk said, yes, I will suspend those accounts. And so far-right internet trolls helped to double down on that, and they flooded the complaint system of Twitter with false reports about terms of service violations. Except when you look at the accounts that were suspended, they mention a number of them in this particular article. But I've seen a couple of these anti-fascist accounts. Anti-fascist Action, that was the original anti-fascist movement. They were a communist subversive movement in Germany in the early 1930s. They opposed what Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party were doing to Germany in response to about a decade plus of cultural and economic ruin. Hitler was a national socialist. He was a fascist, but not the same kind of fascist that you find in places like China. Not the same kind of fascist you find in places like Russia. These kinds of words mean different things to different people. This is why the words like fascist, words like even for Republicans and people on the right, libtards, these words get thrown around, but they don't have a lot of meaning outside of little echo chambers. So the anti-fascist groups, and I've seen some of these pages that got suspended, these were the ones promoting violence and advocating for people to be bombarded with anti-fascist action. This would be your protests to the point of rioting, looting, burning things, attacking people, etc. Among the other prominent accounts suspended were the Elm Fork John Brown Gun Club, an anti-fascist group that provides armed security for LGBTQ events in North Texas. I thought it was kind of ironic because usually when people are walking around with firearms, people on the left say it's about intimidation. But if you have a firearm at an LGBTQ event, whatever that even means anymore, then it's not intimidation, it's about providing security. The irony is, when I take my firearm, which I know how to use, when I take my firearm, which I'm safe with, when I take my firearm and I walk downtown, I am carrying that firearm to exercise my basic human right my basic civil liberty, that I have a right to defend myself, to protect and defend my property, my family, if I'm with somebody, etc. From people that are on drugs, people that have mental problems, whether they're homeless or not, and maybe, I don't ever want to have to do this, but from psychopath, uh, some psychopath who decides to open fire, maybe in a restaurant or something, I don't know. That's why I carry my firearm. I don't carry it for intimidation. I don't walk around with it showing people. Why would I do that? I've only had to tell one person I had a firearm in public, some guy that was spitting on me and uh, threatening to attack me because he kept, keeps asking me for money, and I told him to get a job, 
and stop contributing to the downfall of Western civilization, which the police also thought that was pretty hilarious. And I didn't even pull my gun. I just told him, I've got a firearm, back off, stop harassing me, etc. That's self-defense. When you hold guns in front of a school or in front of a library over an LGBTQ event, that to me feels like intimidation because it's not the people that are LGBTQ holding the firearms legally or otherwise for for their own protection. It's people that claim to speak for them in black masks, in anarchist gear, with assault rifles. That's not considered intimidation. That's considered self-defense. So they get to have their right to self-defense. They get to have their right to carry a firearm. They get to actually intimidate people, but we're not supposed to have firearms when we live in dangerous cities, or even if we don't live in dangerous cities, we're not allowed to have firearms in our homes because burglars have feelings too. According to the Intercept article, all four accounts had been singled out for criticism, and then this is how they shift the narrative. I don't even know who this guy is. By someone named Andy Nigo a far-right writer whose conspiratorial error-riddled reporting on left-wing protests and social movements fuels the mass delusion that a handful of small anti-fascist groups are part of an imaginary shadow army called Antifa. So they build the straw man here, and then they burn it down. I don't even know who Andy Nego is. I have, I've never heard the name before until I read this article. I know what anti-fascist groups look like because I've come face-to-face with them. I know what anti-fascist groups are like. I've seen them in Portland. I've seen them in Rochester. I saw them overturn police cars and burn those vehicles in Rochester. I saw Antifa literally a block away from my apartment attacking people in the street. Gunshots going off into the local sushi restaurant across the street. This is Monroe Avenue. In Rochester, black smoke, plumes of black smoke pouring out of downtown Rochester when I lived there. It looked like something from the the Christopher Nolan Batman movies with uh, with Bane or or with the Joker, the second or third. But that's not violence, right? That's protesting. But protesting is violence. And having a gun for LGBTQ events is Self-defense, but having a gun to protect you and your family, that's intimidation. The narrative here becomes more and more clear. What is the narrative? The narrative is the changing of words, the changing of definitions, and rules for you, but not rules for them. According to the article, Twitter's reason for suspending the John Brown Gun Club, according to the suspension report, was two tweets that violated Twitter's rules against, quote, hateful conduct. One was a joke about pronouns, and the other one had something to do with a comment about uh, muggings and guns in relation to U.S. Customs and Border Protection. I don't know, nor do I care, if the John Brown Gun Club violated the terms, the service uh, terms, the agreements on Twitter. What I'm concerned with is how people can be so incredibly tone deaf, can be so incredibly biased. So if one group gets suspended for having left-wing radical views, 
is it not at least a double standard when nobody cared that Republicans or independents or just common, average, everyday people who decide accidentally to share something that Twitter's bot-driven system doesn't like, and then they get suspended, they lose their account, etc. That's okay, but when this happens to this particular ideological cult, then, well, you know, it's the end of the world. So again, they can have free speech, they can have firearms, but you can't. And that's a really dangerous, dangerous precedent and notion. And that's what's underlying all of this. They get to have guns to defend LGBTQ. You can't have a gun to defend your family. They get to have free speech to criticize, to attack, to assault, to lie, to spread half-truths, to spread propaganda, to spread conspiracy theories, etc. But you don't have free speech to even voice an opinion that has nothing to do with politics. They have a right to protest by rioting and looting, but you don't have a right to even question it or it gets boiled down to some guy I've never heard of, Andy Nago, who he's, he's the guy behind the mass delusion that a handful of small anti-fascist groups are part of a shadow army car called Antifa. This is how you create a new narrative. This is how you control the flow of information, control people's perceptions, and this is how, furthermore, you can alter the course of a country by altering the course of elections. Let's go a step further. Here's a CNN article. Hate speech dramatically surges on Twitter following Elon Musk takeover, new research shows. New Twitter owner Elon Musk declared last month that hate speech impressions had dramatically fallen on the platform since he took over. However, two different groups, the Center for Countering Digital Hate and the Anti-Defamation League, which is a fascist, racist, bigoted organization of anti-Semites, both said in reports that the volume of hate speech on Twitter has grown dramatically under Musk's stewardship. Specifically, the Center for Countering Digital Hate said the daily use of the N-word under Musk is tripled the 2022 average, and the use of slurs against gay men and trans persons are up 58% and 62% respectively. I like how they track this kind of stuff. And remember, the Center for Countering Digital Hate, well, they counter hate. So they're not hateful. They're good people. It also says, and the Anti-Defamation League said in a separate report that its data shows, quote, uh, quote both an increase in anti-Semitic content on the platform and a decrease in the moderation of anti-Semitic posts. How do you quantify that? So listen to these two group names again. Center for Countering Digital Hate. So if you disagree with them, you disagree with Countering Digital Hate. The Anti-Defamation League. Anti-defamation against Semites. However, as I've pointed out on the show over and over and over again, if you want to talk about Semitic people, Semitic people speak Semitic languages. You can be Jewish and not actually be a Semite. If I learn Hebrew, I become Semitic even if I'm not Jewish. If for some reason um, I decide to learn any of the Semitic languages, then I become a Semite. Maybe I want to learn them to, to read a, you know, a book in that language or to go to a country where they speak that language. The irony is almost always the case that Arabs are Semites. 
all Arabs. If you are Arab, you are a Semite. It's that simple. And yet, not every single Jewish person is a Semite. So the Anti-Defamation League, in and of itself, is a very anti-Semitic organization because they will just as well silence Jewish people as they will Gentiles. Personally, I'm not a big fan of her personality. I'm not a fan of her politics, but that lady, Laura Loomer, who's always on InfoWars, she's a good example. She's proudly Jewish. I'm pretty sure she's proudly Zionist, and the Anti-Defamation League comes after her. It's because it doesn't matter if you're Jewish. What matters is if you toe the line of those who have the power. That's what really matters. The article from CNN goes on to say both groups, that's the CCDH and the ADL, both groups expressed alarm with what they are seeing occurring on Twitter, one of the most influential communication platforms in the world. So it's an informational and influential communications platform. Except when people were talking about how certain political opinions were being censored on Twitter before, which was totally fine, by the way. It was just a private company, and they could do whatever they wanted to do. Now that some people on the left, some of those anti-fascist groups, rightfully are having their accounts pulled down for violence and intimidation and threats and all this, for actually violating terms and, and, and service agreements then it is a travesty. It's a violation of free speech. And this is an influential communications platform. So again, they can have free speech. You can't. We did a show recently. We talked about Twitter and we talked about the symbolism of Twitter and what the blue bird represents and this idea of synthesis, synthesizing man and machine. Because Elon Musk is, I'm going to bet a lot of money on it, using Twitter to feed his Optimus robot, feed the AI system that's going to be the personality of that robot. And then, of course, Neuralink and Starlink put all this together. All of this was announced. The human trials for Neuralink, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Skylink system, the Starlink system, all this stuff, the Internet, all this stuff was announced the week that Musk said he was going to uh, purchase Twitter. The CNN article goes on. The report comes just hours after Kanye West's Twitter account was suspended I don't know if you knew this. Kanye West had his Twitter account suspended. I know he likes to go by the name Ye, but this is what CNN's reporting. Uh, had his Twitter account suspended after he posted a, it says, altered image of the Star of David with a swastika inside of it uh, after having appeared on Alex Jones's show. And I find that to be quite interesting, considering that what he posted, they say it's a, it's a Star of David that's been altered. And that's supposed to mean the Star of David, I guess, belongs to Jewish people. And that's not the case. The Star of David is not a Jewish symbol originally. The cross is not a Christian symbol originally. The moon is not a Muslim symbol originally. But nevertheless, with a swastika inside of it, what he actually posted was a swastika Star of David-like image, which has to do with like alien contact cults. Uh, I'm going to tell you about that when we come back from break. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's a lot more after this. 
You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned to The Secret Teachings. We'll be back. The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. From Ground Zero to the Secret Teachings. Keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. If you'd like to hear more of the Secret Teachings, if you missed a show or part of a show, sign up to the ever-expanding archive at thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe for a month or a year, you get access to the full show archive to every show after it airs. You can download and stream unlimited episodes and share your login with friends or family. With your subscription, you can also get access on the website to all of Ryan's digital books and the ever-growing montage archive. Just visit thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donate Subscribe tab at the top of the page. Use the secure PayPal link and start your membership today. By subscribing, you support The Secret Teachings, Ryan, and yourself. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. If anyone can hear this broadcast, I'm still on Earth. This is the frequency of Ground Zero Radio, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, and The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable. listening to the secret teachings radio i'm your host ryan gable the secret teachings.info is our website if you'd like to contact us rdgable at yahoo.com tst radio at protonmail.com according to cnn hate speech is surging on twitter that's according to the center for countering digital hate and the anti-defamation league of course if you disagree with either one of those groups then you don't want to counter hate and you want to defame jewish people even though not all Jewish people are Semites. Specifically, the Center for Countering Digital Hate said the daily use of the N-word under Musk tripled. I find that ironic because the entire Hollywood system, and Kanye West, or Ye, is very, very correct about this, the whole entertainment music industry bases the image of the black man or the black woman off of whether or not they will abide by the contractual obligations, promote a counterculture that is a false fraudulent culture that is not black culture, and call themselves and other people the N-word and the B-word. Yay is very, very correct about that. So Hollywood can do that. The entertainment industry can do that. You, you can do that in the music industry. That is until you break with the pack and then suddenly... The N-word means something again, and Twitter is allowing it to proliferate on its platform. 
They've actually uh, monitored it. They said the N-word has been used three times as much, three times as much as the average as of 2022, although Elon Musk didn't have total control of Twitter until recently, so I'm not sure what that is supposed to mean. They're implying that Musk is responsible for that for the whole year. They're saying also slurs against gay men and trans people are up 58% and 62% respectively. The Anti-Defamation League said separately in a report, data shows both an increase in anti-Semitic content on the platform and the decrease in moderation of anti-Semitic posts. They're quantifying the severity of the posts. They've got one of those uh, what I call racial color wheels, the Crayola color wheels to decide you know what's more racist, what's least racist. I guess they've got something like that for Semitism or anti-Semitism as well. This tweet was more anti-Semitic than the other tweet. Both groups expressed alarm with what they are seeing occur on Twitter, one of the most influential communication platforms in the world. Ironically, when some people are censored on Twitter, when some people are shadow banned, then it's not an influential communications platform. It's a private company and they can do whatever they want. When anti-fascist groups, which are actually fascists, when anti-fascist action groups threaten people, harass people, intimidate people, use the platform of Twitter or other platforms to stage and to organize riots and what they call protests. They riot and loot in the name of protesting. When they do that and they get banned or they get suspended, then suddenly Twitter becomes the public marketplace again. Suddenly Twitter becomes the place where free speech is being suppressed. Suddenly Twitter becomes the place that's a public utility and it should be... um, should be regulated as such. Changes, doesn't it? Really quickly. CNN also says that the reports out of these two anti-hate groups come hours after Ye or Kanye West's Twitter account was suspended. He let uh, Alex Jones and a few other people there in studio use his Twitter account. Uh, That's not what uh, this is about, but his account was suspended because he posted the image of an altered Star of David, which is actually the Star of Saturn. It's also the merging of the male and female, or the fire triangle and the upside-down triangle, which is water. So the alchemical symbols of fire and water merge together. The Great Seal of Solomon, a magical symbol. It's not exclusively a Jewish symbol. It's also a Rothschild symbol. It's also the Star of Saturn. It also has a lot of other meanings. It's not the Jewish people don't own that symbol. The Christians don't own the cross, and the Muslims don't own the moon. But I'm digressing from the point. They call it an altered Star of David with a swastika inside of it. And I'm not exactly sure why he posted that, but I find it kind of interesting and kind of strange that the symbol he posted, and maybe he's mocking them to prove a point, the symbol he posted has been in the news recently. The swastika has been in the news because Hindus and Indians, which make up one of the world's largest religions, one of the most ancient religions, out of which Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, in a sense, sprang from originally, this Hindu religion uses the swastika. It's a beautiful symbol. It doesn't mean what they tell you it means in the sense that it all goes back to Adolf Hitler. He even had a different definition for what that symbol represented. They don't like that symbol because that's the sun wheel, the sonenrad. It's the expression of life and love and beauty and strength, and they want to crush that. More irony is found in the fact that the symbol that Kanye or Ye posted 
is actually a symbol of a UFO religion or a cult. The group is called the International Raelian Movement or the Raelian Church. Raelianism teaches that an extraterrestrial species known as the Elohim created humanity using their advanced technology. Among those considered prophets of these Elohim and the Elohim-human hybrids in this religion are Buddha, Jesus, and Muhammad. And then the prophet Rael, R-A with umlauts over the E, Rael would be the final prophet, which interestingly, if you know about Islam, Muhammad said that he basically came after Christ. There would be another prophet after him, the final prophet. Hopefully that's not the false prophet. Hopefully that's not the Antichrist. Or as Adolf Hitler said, there would be another Hitler-like figure that would come to save the world from, from this system that wanted to enslave uh, everybody. Because that's, I mean, the Nazis were fighting back against a, a globalist uh, organized movement uh, to destroy nation states and to destroy countries and economies and control everything through central banks, etc. That's all very well documented. So Ye posts that, and there's a lot of implication there. I don't personally care uh, about the symbol. They're focusing on the swastika, but what does the symbol represent? It, it, it is a, it's based in Judeo-Christianity, and it relates on the surface to this, you know, to some people, to Nazis, to other people. It's the, the, the alien UFO cult called Raelism, which was founded in the, in the 1970s in France, but it also has a much deeper meaning that some kind of beings created humanity, manipulate humanity, and that, I think, probably goes into a lot of what you know Kanye West or Ye believes and part of the stuff about Zionism as well, uh, particularly if you read the holy book, uh, or rather, I should say, the unholy, uh, perverse book of the Talmud. Uh, you know, Beautiful in some respects, an ancient text. Don't want to censor it or ban it, but that book teaches some very, very perverse stuff, which has led people to believe that those who wrote the book might not have even been human. That's not my opinion. That is a, a generalized theory. Um, I have not read the entire Talmud, so I don't know. I need, I need to get a copy of it and read it so I can decide for myself. So what we have here so far tonight, we have the Intercept article and CNN. We have Twitter thrills far-right trolls by silencing left-wing voices. Anti-fascists have been suspended or censored, blocked, potentially banned in some cases on Twitter because of the the, the hatefulness, because of the, the violation of the terms and services uh, of, of the platform. Some of these groups, maybe they didn't do anything wrong. I don't know. Uh, if you're an anti-fascist, if you're Antifa, which is an organization that goes back to the early 30s, your entire movement is a terrorist movement. And terrorist groups probably shouldn't have Twitter accounts, especially if they're promoting acts of violence, even if it's in the name of fighting fascism. See, this is what intellectuals do. They use words because words sound nice, especially nice-sounding words. They're against fascism. They're trying to stop bigotry. And this article implies a lot. If you disagree with the left wing, you're a far-right troll. Remember the White House said a few months ago that if you disagree with the establishment, then you are an extremist. You're either with the establishment, you're either with us, or you're against the establishment. You're against us. You're with the terrorists. That's a neocon strategy as well, and the liberals have employed that, although they're not real liberals. And then the CNN article, Hate Speech, surges on Twitter 
But of course, the question is, what is hate speech? How do you define hate speech? Because the simple fact is, we'll use this whole ADL thing again. If someone speaks a Semitic language or if someone is Arab, someone's actually descendant from one of these groups, then they are Semitic. But if I just learn, uh, you know, uh, an Arab, uh, like if I learn uh, Arabic, if I learn Hebrew, I become Semitic. Semite, uh, Semite or Semitic just means someone who speaks the language. So if I speak that language, I become Semitic. You could be Jewish and not speak the language. You're not a Semite. I mean, my, my, um, my son's mom, uh, her dad is completely Jewish. As far as I understand, he doesn't speak Hebrew, though, so he's not a Semite. And uh, although, you know, my son is, I guess, technically partly Jewish, they don't consider him Jewish because it comes down through the, the father's side. Um, I mean, my son is technically Jewish. He's descended from that, quote, bloodline, if, if that really is, you know, the bloodline of, of that side of his family. But my son was actually called a Nazi and a white supremacist. He was, by the way, two and a half because I refused to put a mask on him when I took him to the grocery store that I worked at, literally. Yes, two white women called my son a Nazi and a white supremacist and called me a Nazi and a white supremacist because I wouldn't put him in a mask. I'm not even sure what that means. And uh, I remember my, my fiance, Hope, she worked at the store. She, she heard that conversation and she said, that's weird, his mom's Jewish. <laughs> you know, not that that even means anything because Nazis and Jews, that's, it's like, the Americans and the Soviet Union, you know, that miracle hockey game. Like you think of that, you think of, you know, like one of the most famous hockey games, but, you know, those teams play other countries as well. <laughs> the Nazis play other countries. The Jews play other countries. Uh, it's not an isolated, I'm, I'm digressing from the point. So anyway, we have those two stories. Now I want to take you back to a show that we did a couple of months ago where we talked about sock puppets. We talked about trolls. We talked about, you know, what exactly is a troll? What exactly is a sock puppet? Well, this article is from The Guardian back in 2011. I've had a copy of this for, well, it's 2022, so I've had a copy of this for 12 years. Revealed, U.S. spy operation that manipulates social media. The U.S. military in 2011 was officially developing software to manipulate social media sites by using, quote, fake online personas to influence Internet conversations and spread pro-American propaganda. They were doing this overseas, of course, just like with the blimps and just like with the other things that have happened overseas. They bring that home. The chickens eventually come home to roost. A California corporation in 2011 was awarded a contract with the U.S. Central Command, CENTCOM, which oversees U.S. armed operations in the Middle East and Central Asia, to develop what is described as an online persona management service. That's what this is. It's an online persona management service. That's what Elon Musk was trying to wipe off of Twitter. That's why a lot of people lost all those followers, because they weren't real followers. They were all bots. And this online persona management service allows U.S. servicemen or women to control up to 10 separate identities based all over the world. That's why when I'm on Twitter, and I've gotten like uh, 150 new followers since Elon Musk took over. So, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't really use Twitter. I don't honestly know how to use Twitter. Uh, I don't really care about Twitter, but my Twitter followers went up dra drastically. Um, once a lot of those, you know, bots were eliminated, then restrictions were taken off. Maybe that's just perception. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I know I have like 450 followers now and I had like less than 300 a few, few months ago. So anyway, the point is 
I look at my Twitter and I, I used to see people like it, like it, like it, like it, follow me, follow me, follow me, and nothing would go up. Now I've got, you know, getting close to 500. I just started this account. So I'm looking at my Twitter and sometimes I'll post something. Most of the time I post something on Twitter. It's just to have a copy of it. You know, if I can't quickly email it to myself, I just share it to my page, you know, to retweet it uh, so I can go back and look at it later, which I have something I want to share with you from my Twitter page and an audio clip will probably play, if not in this segment, in the next segment as the show unfolds tonight. A big show. We're going to continue to break this down and we're going a lot further than what we've talked about already. We've got a, a full two-hour broadcast tonight to, to break down um, a subject that you're going to have to listen to the whole show to get the, um, to get the underlying uh, essence of what the show is about tonight. So if you go to places like Twitter and you post something, and I don't know about you, but I've, I've experienced this. I experience this almost on a daily basis. You get these random accounts that come after you. They get like three followers. They follow like 10 people. And they just appear out of nowhere. And they disappear just as quickly. And usually what happens is, I'm pretty sure I'm still shadow banned on Twitter. But usually what happens is when you're having a discussion, you know that this is a bot. It's actually more of a sock puppet, as they call them, fake online persona. And then... In the middle of that, you're sharing a tweet, you're talking to this other person that you know, I know is a sock puppet or a troll. I call them out and tell them they're a sock puppet troll. I don't want to have a discussion. I know you're fake. Then you get another one that comes in. So you end up getting two. And then after a while, they disappear and their accounts go away. That's what this is. They are fake online personas. They are human beings operating, quote, 10 separate identities based all over the world. And that's just in 2011 what the U.S. military was employing overseas. The project has also been likened by web experts to China's attempts to control and restrict free speech on the Internet, exactly and precisely what it is. That's what the Google Dragonfly program was all about. Project Dragonfly. Google was agreeing to share the data of individuals who make searches such as for the Dalai Lama or human rights or democracy with Chinese authorities. And of course, you look at something like TikTok. TikTok shows the Chinese math and art and family, and it shows in the U.S. porn, money, and violence. And of course, TikTok is owned by ByteDance, a Chinese company. And we know just from looking at how people have used Facebook, let alone Twitter, let alone Instagram, let alone all these other platforms, we know young girls in particular, they're developing Tourette's, emotional outbursts, nervous tics anorexia, self-image problems. I mean, if you really want to look at why people have body dysmorphia, it's probably from social media. And it doesn't even have to be because of propaganda or groomers. It's because of the platform itself and what that platform allows for. It's like one of the founders of Facebook said, it exploits a vulnerability in human psychology. That's a quote. Exploits a vulnerability. I believe that's the full quote. Exploits a vulnerability in in human psychology. So those are the sock puppets. Those are the, what we would call trolls. That's what is running these social media platforms. And that takes us to the next step. That takes us to the next stage. Now that we know that there's a huge double standard for content, a huge double standard for guns, a huge double standard for protests, a huge double standard for speech, you can have no speech 
But if I have the right political idea, the right political ideology, I can have all the speech. I get to speak. I get to say what I want, but you don't. I get to protest, i.e. riot and loot. You don't get to even disagree with it. Or you don't agree with my right to riot and loot, which you don't have a right to riot and loot because they associate rioting, looting, and protest. They associate suspending dangerous speech because they define dangerous speech as speech that they disagree with and they say it's not your free speech to say dangerous things. Well, define dangerous things. You can't own a gun, but I can own a gun, right? I can own a gun as long as I hold it outside of a drag queen show or I hold it outside of a strip club or if I hold it outside of a LGBTQ event. That's literally what the article that I read you earlier said. That's literally uh, what they're talking about uh, in the Intercept article about Twitter and left-wing and right-wing, uh, right-wing trolls censoring left-wing voices. You can have a gun to protect LGBTQ, but not one to protect your family. So there's a double standard on guns, speech, protest, due process. What about the guy that tried to kill Supreme Court justices? He's going to jail, but nobody even knows this guy's name. I'll give you a hint. Nicholas, last name starts with an R. Look him up. What about the psychopath who said Satan told him to kill his colleagues at Walmart? He had dark skin, so his story doesn't matter. These are the double standards. Now that we know there are double standards, and we know that there are people that enforce those double standards, sock puppets, trolls, etc., then we have to define what exactly is it that they define as extremism? What exactly is it that they define as hate or hate speech? What do they define as racism? What do they define as sexism? What do they define as transphobia? Which is a huge misnomer. You know, because if you're anti-something, that's different than if you have a phobia. Personally, I have a little bit of arachnophobia. I don't really like spiders, but I respect the spiders. And as long as they stay over there, I'm okay with the spiders. I probably shouldn't have told you that because then I'll piss see people send me a box of spiders or something. Uh, I don't like spiders that much, but I respect the spider. Like I'm freaked out by the spider, but I, I'm okay. If the spider wants to do its thing, the spider can do its thing. They're necessary. Okay, that's I'm not anti-spider. I have a phobia of spiders. So when you say someone's transphobic, and that means they hate trans people and they don't believe that trans people are people like you just make all of these statements with that word. That's not even what the word means. Transphobic means that you have an aversion to trans people. And you, you know, most of the time you don't even, you, you would never even know you're talking with a trans person, but they change the definition of the word. So it must mean that you hate them. And you can have an irrational fear. That's a phobia. You can have an aversion to something that doesn't make you a bigot. I mean, personally, I have an aversion myself to spiders. I have an aversion to communism. But if you want to read about communism, I'm not going to stop you from reading about communism. If you want to have a pet spider, you can have a pet spider. I don't hate you if you're uh, you know, reading a communist book or if you're reading, or reading about spiders or you own a spider. Now, I, I am anti-communist. I'm not anti-spider, though. Phobia and anti are two different things. They mean two different things. So how do we define these words? How do you define the racism? How do you define the extremism? How do you find the, define the hatred? Well, on the surface, it's pretty clear. 
anybody that disagrees with the mainline status quo establishment, corporate, banking, international, globalist, World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, United Nations, 17 Goals for Sustainability, uh, Rockefeller Foundation, Ford Foundation, Carnegie, Tavistock, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you disagree with them or you question what they're doing, then that makes you all these terrible things. And the FBI thought a couple of months ago, back in August, if you couldn't figure out who is all these terrible things, then they're going to give you some ways to find out. They're going to give you some ways to figure it out for yourself. This is how you decide and determine if somebody is an extremist. If they have the letter and the number 2A, or I should say the number and the letter 2A, Second Amendment, if they have a shirt that says 2A, they are a militia, violent extremist. This is the FBI's own report. They also use symbols like the Molon Labe. They use symbols like the anarcho-capitalism flag instead of anarcho-communism. I've never even seen an anarcho-capitalism flag. They have commonly... um, they commonly use these kinds of symbols, the, the Betsy Ross flag. Apparently, that's a symbol of militia, violent extremism. And that's according to the FBI. Uh, they use imagery of revolutionary war fighters or revolutionary war imagery. So I guess literally the New England Patriot football team, they would be militia, violent extremists. I mean, maybe when Tom Brady played there, because remember that report, Tom Brady was seen with a red hat in his locker. They believe it was a Trump hat as if that's illegal or something. Right. So literally, and I mean, the logo they use, the FBI uses this logo. It literally looks like the New England Patriot uh, logo. (laughs) It's kind of, I think it's kind of funny because they're basically saying, if you have that symbol, then you are an extremist. And, you know, it's unbelievable that they literally can say, if you believe in the Second Amendment, if you say Molan Labe, if you if you have revolutionary war imagery, if you have I mean, I have here in my studio, I've got a replica of the Constitution, the federal Constitution, not that racist uh, protect Negro slavery, Southern Constitution from the seceded states. I've got a copy of the Declaration of Independence. I've got a copy of Colonial Money. I've got a copy of, uh, well, I've got a ton of Revolutionary War books. I've got a whole shelf of um, Revolutionary War history, uh, things about the Constitutional Convention, uh, the war with the British, etc. Literally, the FBI says all those things are symbols and images of racism. That doesn't make any sense. They say that these are symbols of extremism. Not only extremism, but violent extremism. I also have a Gadsden flag, you know, with the rattlesnake coiled above the don't tread on me. That flag was flown on a warship in 1775 as a battle cry for American independence. And we're told that it is a symbol of militia, violent extremism. Also, And keep that in mind, because that, I think, is the way that we can summarize this first hour. 
in June of this year, or excuse me, June of last year, 2021, from the Executive Office of the President, National Security Council, the National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism. Remember that? They said, anybody who questions the COVID-19 pandemic, anybody who questions the inconsistencies in the general election that led to Joe Biden becoming president, anybody who is emboldening impact of the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol when the doors were open and people were let in, except for the you know extremists that were there to cause conflict and to cause confusion. If you question masks, you are a domestic violent extremist. If you have a Gadsden flag, you are a domestic violent extremist. Well, what it tells me is those people that get to decide who has speech, who can protest, who has guns, who has religious rights, those people, they get to craft and form the narrative. They get to tell you what is and what is not racist and sexist and bigoted and extremism. Those people have hijacked the image of the country. So if you disagree with their ideology, you disagree with America, but it's not the same America. They've hijacked America and the image and the idea of America, and they're using it as a shield, as a flag, a false flag against the advancement of their global agenda. I think it's as simple as that. I think that is the solution to understanding all of this stuff that seems so complex. It's because the image has been hijacked. So when you have the Gadsden flag, which is a battle cry for independence, they say you're a terrorist because how dare you want independence from a one world socialist, globalist, totalitarian, authoritarian, communist state run by, to quote Bill Cooper, puke-faced Gestapo thugs. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's a lot more after this. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. Monday through Friday, The Secret Teachings. Artie Gable at Yahoo.com. TST Radio at ProtonMail.com. More after this. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey, this is John Peasy at johnpeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teachings. If you're looking for a great gift that keeps on giving this year, check out one of my four books for the holiday season. Occult Arcana is a monumental collection of esoteric and occult lore. The technological elixir looks at UFOs, demonology in the music industry, and the soul and spirit in relation to modern technology. Liberty Shrugged, my new book, takes you on a historical journey through the concepts of natural liberty and provides a different angle on the American Revolution. Food Philosophy explores food industry propaganda, advertising tricks, and geoengineering. Get all four books only at thesecretteachings.info in softcover or digital. That's thesecretteachings.info. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. 
This is Kev Baker of the Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Thanks, Ryan. This is David Knight with thedavidknightshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teaching. Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. You are listening to the Secret Teachings Radio, hour number two. We've looked at two articles tonight, one from The Intercept, one from CNN, telling us that anybody who disagrees with left-wing voices is a far-right troll. Anybody who doesn't believe that Antifa or anti-fascist groups promote or advocate for violence and therefore should be removed from Twitter, you are a far-right troll. The Anti-Defamation League and the Center for Countering Digital Hate go a step further and say they're tracking the statistics of that hatred and of the actual violence, which pushes back against Antifa perceptually, right? Because Antifa's anti-fascist, so they're the good guys. And if you disagree with them, you're actually violent. You're an actual extremist. The Center for Countering Digital Hate says they're tracking the use of the N-word and slurs against gay men and trans people. I'm wondering why they're not tracking slurs against women. Maybe that's because most of the slurs against gay men are actually LGBTQ related and that has nothing to do with gay people. And it's actually about destroying femininity and womanhood and relationships and all that. But that's a separate issue. The Anti-Defamation League says that there has been an increase in anti-Semitic content on the platform, but a decrease in uh, the moderation of anti-Semitic posts. And so again, they're, they're determining what is anti-Semitic, what exactly is more or less anti-Semitic, what is a gay man slur, what is a trans person slur, and then they get to decide in the media, maybe not on Twitter anymore, but in the media they get to decide who's a far-right troll, who's a racist, who's an anti-Semite, who's a homophobe, who's a transphobe, who's all these terrible things and these terrible names. Which again, phobia means you have an aversion to something. Being anti means you're being opposed to something. So I can be anti showing children pornography. That's not right. That should be a felony. And I can also not like spiders, but not hate them. I can just be, you know, phobic of them. I can have arachnophobia. So knowing that based on these two articles, and this is just. I think a a great example, the narratives these two articles spin, great examples of the macrocosm of what is happening socially and culturally and in media and in politics, the idea that some people get to have free speech and others don't. When we did our Twitter show just a few episodes ago, and we talked about how Elon Musk went to one of the managers at Twitter and said, look, we've got a bunch of worthless jobs. We've got a bunch of people who 
I don't know if he said they were worthless, but you know, based on his attitude, he probably thinks they're worthless. And I do think that those people that are not doing their jobs, working one hour a day, getting paid six figures and getting free lunch, I think those people are worthless. I don't think they contribute anything to society. And the only thing they're employed to do is to target people and to take them off of Twitter, to shadow ban them, to block them, etc. That's their job. So Musk said, we're not going to do that anymore. And we're going to get rid of this dead weight around here because this company is hemorrhaging money. And the money that is coming in, it's paying people to be the censors. It's paying people to be the arbiters of what is right and wrong, what is true and what is false. So he goes to a manager. The New York Times posted this. The New York Times shared this. The New York Times published this. Musk goes to a manager and says, I need you to get rid of these people. And the guy says, I threw up in a trash can when Elon Musk told me to do that. That's what the New York Times reported. In that article, they said it twice. He threw up in a trash can. So when he was helping to be the arbiter of what is fact and fiction in this postmodernist anti-factual world, when he was deciding who should be suspended and who shouldn't be suspended, when he was overseeing the people that do those jobs and get paid a lot of money through advertising to do it, to push corporate agendas, corporate projects, etc., he didn't have any issue with that. Nobody threw up in a trash can then. But when Musk said, we're not going to do this anymore, we want, we want everybody to be able to speak, you know, we'll have moderation of content, but we're not going to censor one political view, one religious view or another. That's insane. That's, you know, illegal, especially when the government is coming to us and telling us to do it, which is what Twitter was doing. They were working with the FBI. They were working with the federal government to censor things. So at Twitter, nobody felt the need to throw up in a trash can until Musk said, we're going to stop this. So these people literally will throw up in garbage cans because they can't censor, they can't block, they can't ban, they can't suspend, they can't control the flow of information. They can't decide what is true, what is false, what is factual, what is not factual. They are the arbiters of all of that. When they're doing that, they feel great. But when they're told to stop that, then they feel like throwing up in garbage cans. So knowing that there's a difference between speech that is free and speech that is violent and the provoking uh, or speech that provokes, uh, I should say, violent action. Um, free speech means particularly that speech that's unpopular is, well, free and it cannot be censored or blocked or banned, etc. So there's a difference between speech, sure, but speech you don't like doesn't constitute speech that is promoting violence. But this is the narrative they've crafted. So some people get to speak. Others don't. Kathy Griffin can hold up a head of the president. She gets to speak. And she should get to speak. She just shouldn't be able to threaten the president. Likewise, when you have people on Twitter, people on social media, and for four years threaten the president, threatened Republicans, and I'm not even a Republican, and I, don't, I do not support Donald Trump to run for president, my, in, in my own opinion. I think he's, at this point, an agent of left-wing corporate media. Uh, my beliefs are a little deeper than that, but that's on the surface. It's not really the point of tonight's show. But when I see that happening to those people, that's not right. I don't believe that that's right. I don't think people should be censored for that. And then the people that say that it's wrong for, let's say, Trump to have his Twitter account back, they're the morally superior. They're the ones that literally banned and canceled and censored a president of the United States. That didn't make them want to throw up in a trash can, but to let the president back on Twitter makes them want to throw up in a trash can. 
And so they have to get extreme and they have to redefine words and they have to redefine terms so that free speech becomes any speech that is acceptable in a political echo chamber. They have to redefine what protest means. Protest means anything within a political echo chamber is warranted under the guise of protest. So rioting, looting, vandalism, attacking people, stabbing people. Some guy got stabbed in the eye with glass in Rochester when I was living there during the the peaceful protests where black plumes of smoke were pouring out from downtown. So they get to redefine these words. What about guns? Well, this one article I have here says that one of the groups that was suspended on Twitter, Elm Fork John Brown Gun Club, they're anti-fascist and they provide armed security for LGBTQ events. Do LGBTQ events need armed security? You know who needs armed security? Elon Musk needs armed security because of the people that want to kill him. You know who needs armed security? Whether you like him or not, Alex Jones needs armed security because people, well, they used to, they think they love him now, but people used to physically assault him. You know who needs armed security? People like President Trump because you have celebrities and you have average people that are so rabid they want to literally assassinate or kill the president. That's who needs armed security. Not LGBTQ groups. They don't need armed security. If they want it, they can have it, but it's being forced upon them by these anti-fascist groups. And anti-fascist groups are traditionally pro-communist. The anti-fascist action group in the early 30s, they were an extension of the communist subversive groups that spread perversity through Weimar Germany. And that perversity was pornography, transvestites, sexual surgeries, most of that focused on children and the youth. So it's no wonder that anti-fascists support LGBTQ because they're using it as a vehicle to advance the Weimar agenda, the Weimar model. But again, they get to have guns, but you can't have a gun to walk down the street to defend yourself in the case of some drug addict attacks you or some homeless person who harasses you for money, like I've experienced, attacks you and spits on you when, I'm not saying you pull your gun because someone spits on you, but the guy spits and he's coming out, I'm going to kick your ass and he's threatening to assault me and I say, I've got a gun, back up. They don't want me to be able to do that. But if you're LGBTQ, then you get to have armed anti-fascist groups, which are the Weimar model, protect your group from nothing to, to provide the perception that you need protection in the first place, right? This is why a lot of those UFO alien people, they wear those bulletproof vests because they got to pretend like the government's after them. The government wanted to kill you. They would just kill you. If somebody wanted to kill those LGBTQ people in those events, they would just do it, right? So they get to be the arbiters of what is considered free speech. What is considered your right to protest? What is considered your right to defend yourself, i.e. guns and other things? What exactly does it mean to have a right to publish information freely, freedom of the press. They get to decide all of those things. Now, understanding that, we should be able to recognize that that allows anybody who has the ability to control the definitions of those words within political echo chambers to craft narratives. And those narratives can drastically alter the way that we look at the world. Those narratives can swing independent voters during elections. If we have real democracy, that's dangerous. So we have a rule of law that protects the country, that protects states, that protects citizens. Democracy is the way in which we hopefully can reinforce the law with people that have good ideas that want to uphold the rule of law and to make the law stronger to protect not government, but to protect you. And to reinforce those narratives 
through those political echo chambers, they have sock puppets. They have trolls and bots. I read you the article back in 2011. The U.S. military was working on fake online personas. It would allow humans to control 10 separate identities based all over the world. They called them sock puppets. The CENTCOM contract, that's Central Command for the U.S., the CENTCOM contract, according to the Guardian article, I've had this article for over a decade, stipulates that each fake online persona must have a convincing background history and supporting details and that up to 50 U.S.-based controllers should be able to operate false identities from their workstations without fear of being discovered by sophisticated adversaries. And now they're doing the same thing to U.S. citizens. So once you can control the definition of what it is that a human right is, uh, that a civil liberty is, uh, that a basic um, you know, natural right is, and you can redefine them to only be representative of your political echo chamber, and you can reinforce that through the narrative control that it provides you, and then you control that through sock puppets and bots and trolls, and then the question is, we know who, the groups that do this, we know who, but what exactly are the definitions? We know who redefines these words. What are the definitions uh, that now take the place of words that once meant something else? How does this dictionary get rewritten? Well, we go directly to the White House in 2021. The National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism. They say violent extremists or domestic violent extremists. This is directly from the article, March 2021. Enduring DVE, domestic violent extremists, or extremism, motivations pertaining to bias against minority populations. How do you define bias? If you don't want your children to be taught about homosexuality in school when they should be learning about math and history and science and reading, then you have a bias against minority populations, even if, well... You live in a place where you are the minority. I'm a minority here in Tucson. I get along fine with everybody, except usually for crazy white people that want me to put masks on. I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood when I lived in St. Petersburg, Florida. St. Petersburg is very wealthy. It's also very poor in some places. And I play basketball. And most of the people I play basketball with, especially rec league and pickup games, were all black. I refuse to call them African-American because I don't know if they were from Africa. They, they had darker skin than me. Never had an issue. I mean, you know, you, you, you chirp at each other on the court. I, I wasn't a big fan of trash talk myself, but it was all part of the game, and everybody was cool afterwards, handshakes and hugs, and even people you didn't know. You just met these people at a pickup game. It was just high fives and handshakes. It was all cool. It was, no, there was no way. I never had any issues with discrimination. That is until I moved to Rochester, New York. Well, I did have some issues in Boise, it was, it's always white men and white women that are Democrats that have been racist towards me. I mean, it's unbelievable. So I am the minority. You are probably the minority depending on where you live and depending on what your you know, identity is. The document goes on. Perceived government overreach. So perceived government overreach. Even if it is government overreach, if you see it as government overreach, then it's simply your perception of it and it's false. So they get to determine what you believe in your head. Before it even comes out of your mouth or by action, they tell you that if you see the government overreach, then it is simply your perception and it is a sign of DVE, domestic violent extremism. 
It will almost certainly continue to drive DVE radicalization and mobilization to violence. Newer sociopolitical developments such as narratives of fraud in the recent general election. We'll get to that here in a second. The emboldening impact of the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol. Yes, all the people who died had heart attacks, committed suicide. From what I understand, one person committed suicide or were shot by the police. But it's a violent breach when you have people there that are encouraging others to go into the Capitol, go into the Capitol, go into the Capitol, and you had everyone else saying, um, no, we're not going to do that. Conditions, I forget what that guy's name is, by the way. Uh, conditions related to the COVID-19 pandemic. If you question that, then you're a domestic violent extremist. Conspiracy theories promoting violence. How do you define a conspiracy theory? And how do you define what exactly violence is? And how do you define what promotes violence? In other words, they're telling you again, if you believe in something they don't like, something they label a conspiracy theory, then by definition, if you believe in that conspiracy theory, then you are promoting violence. So that's what the definition of these words means. It means you're in opposition to their viewpoint. You're in opposition to their agenda, which is what Jean-Pierre, the White House, and what Joe Biden has said. If you're not a Republican or a Democrat, then you're a semi-fascist. Jean-Pierre said, if you don't agree with the establishment, then you are what? What did she say? Remember, anybody remember what she said? She said, you are not with us then that is an extreme view. Even though Joe Biden has approval rating uh, ratings that range from like 35 to 40%, that's less than half. He's an extremist then by their own definition, which is raw democracy, by the way. If you're in the 51% and the 51% decide 49% have to die, Jim Mars always used to tell me this, then those 49% need to die, right? The FBI went further than this document from the White House, National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism. The FBI said if you have a 2A emblem, a shirt, that's the Second Amendment. If you have the Molin Labe flag with the cannon, uh, if you have the Gadsden flag, if you have Revolutionary War imagery, the Betsy Ross flag, and an, what is an anarcho-capitalist flag? I've never even seen an anarcho-capitalist flag. The one that really gets me is the Revolutionary War imagery. I mean, literally, the New England Patriots logo according to the FBI, is a sign of militant or militia violent extremism. I don't mean that facetiously. I mean, literally, the New England Patriots logo is a symbol of militia violent extremism. I know we have a couple listeners that like the Patriots, Boston-based listeners. Do you feel that way? <laughs> Did you know that your, your logo for the Patriots is literally a symbol of extremism? This is when it starts to make a lot more sense, folks. You start to realize, oh, so if I have, quote, revolutionary war imagery, if I have a U.S. Constitution, if I have a, a constitutional law book, if I have, which all has to do with the Revolutionary War, if I have, and I've got two shelves to my right and I've got another shelf to my left of Revolutionary War material, if I've got images, which I do, I've got um, uh, Revolutionary War materials, I've got uh, things that technically it's not the Revolutionary War, it's actually the French and Indian War but the Benjamin Franklin drawing, Join or Die, which became associated with the Independence War, that symbol is, I guess that makes me a, a, an MVE, a militant or militia violent extremist or extremism. Uh, and there's two different versions of this. There's MVE and there's DVE. There's militia violent extremism and there's domestic violent extremism. And they tend to go hand in hand according to the FBI and according to the White House, according to the Department of Justice. So what it's saying is, if you believe that you have a right to own a Gadsden flag 
Do you know what that flag represents? That's racist. That's extremist. Actually, the Gadsden flag with the rattlesnake, don't tread on me, was flown on a warship officially. This is the official history. It was flown on a warship in 1775 as a battle cry for American independence from British rule. Therefore, if you have that flag today, they say you're an extremist. That would sound like maybe what the British would say. In 1775, the Brits might have said, if you have the don't tread on me flag, then you're an extremist. You're one of those Bostonites that are causing all the problems. Think about that. Put that into context. The British saw any kind of revolutionary imagery, what we call revolutionary imagery, American independence imagery, like the Gadsden flag, they would have seen that as subversive, as the enemy. The FBI sees that same flag as the enemy. I'm not saying it's the British. I'm saying that the FBI is embodying the crown. They're embodying the British Empire. Those flags, those symbols, 2A, Gadsden flag, Molon Labe, Betsy Ross, those are all symbols of extremism. Yeah, maybe if you hate the United States, maybe if you hate Western civilization, maybe if you hate the U.S. Constitution, maybe if you hate the ending of slavery, maybe if you hate the unbelievable culture that we have that, that is more free than any culture in the rest of the world, maybe if you, if you, if you hate that the British didn't defeat the Americans, well, we know, you know, we call ourselves Americans. It's, you know, a lot of semantics there, but didn't defeat the colonies, didn't defeat the French. Maybe if you hate all that stuff and you sided with the British and you wish the U.S. would have never been founded, then, yeah, maybe you would perceive that person uh, who flies that flag or who has that symbol as an extremist. Tyrants don't like when people have a right to defend themselves. Basic criminal psychology 101. Who do you think is going to get robbed? The person walking down the street? They don't even have to have a gun. Just walking down the street, shoulders back, chest out, walking down, maybe grabbing a bite to eat or something. Or the person who's got their head down at the ground, staring at their phone. You're going to go with the most vulnerable. You're going to grab the woman's purse, you know, if it's just sitting there as opposed to someone has it around their shoulder. It's easier. You're going to go with the easiest target because you're a criminal. You're going with the easiest target because you're a coward. That's what criminals do. So, of course, anybody who has a 2A shirt or Molon Labe shirt or the, with the cannon or the Gadsden flag or Revolutionary War imagery, all those New England Patriots logos, all that is extremism. Yeah, to people that hate the country. And that's the whole point. So now that we know that speech and protest and guns, press and due process have all been redefined in a political echo chamber controlled through a narrative controlled through uh, sock puppets, bots, and trolls. And now that we know that the definitions of these words have been utilized within that echo chamber to paint anybody in opposition to a particular political ideology, an extremist ideology, largely communist, but fascist at its core because fascism and communism are really one and the same. Communism is collectivism. Fascism is a collectivization of the sticks controlled by the axe. And we see how they redefine these symbols and these images. Anybody who believes in these things as an extremist, then you realize, oh, the country's been hijacked. And they're just using the idea, the nice words of democracy. Not a republic, though. 
the nice idea of like free speech and you have all these things unless you disagree with us then we take it away from you then at that point it's not a right it's a privilege like george carlin said and the government doesn't have the right or the ability to take those things away at least without recourse from the citizens who have a duty as the declaration of independence says a duty and a responsibility and especially those who have the responsibility already who have the power have a duty and a responsibility to fight back against that corruption. Now, we did a show, I think it was like a month ago. So this was back before the midterm elections. And we talked about, probably exactly a month ago, we talked about the, the way in which you can alter, let's say, an election, right? And I'm not talking about 2020 or 2016. I'm, I'm talking about if you were going to try theoretically, and rig an election. Uh, You don't have to control every machine. You don't have to control every person working at the polls. You don't have to control every single, uh, 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 you know, generally speaking, every single voting center, machines and people. You don't have to control, um, you know, the Secretary of State, or you don't have to control the the board of, you know, the election board in, in the counties. You don't have to control any of that, like, entirely. You just have to isolate areas where you know that you can do things because you control them, let's say, or because in some areas it might be easier to cheat. It might be easier to have mules stuff ballots into boxes. You just have to isolate and target those few areas. And you do that also by calculating, you know, generally speaking, how many votes would you need to win? What did the polls say? What are the statistics of the people that, that usually vote, that generally vote? So if you know you only need a few thousand votes, then you go along and you make sure you stuff that many votes into a number of boxes and you do it in a few locations. And it's really as simple as that. You don't have to control everything. You don't have, it's like with news, you don't control every news outlet, although you inadvertently control them. Subsequently, you control them through the flow of information. As long as you can control the flow of information, what comes out of the media is going to mimic and mirror that information. You don't have to control the reporters. You don't have to control the talking heads. I mean, to some extent you do, but it's really who controls the flow of information that determines the direction of the narrative. And that's why everybody repeats the same thing on the news. And even the alternative media is getting bad about that as well. If not, you know, I say getting bad, but if not already, they're, they're pretty bad about it. They just kind of regurgitate, repeat everything else that they hear elsewhere. Like Stu Peters says something and then everybody, oh, Stu Peters said it. I got nothing against Stu Peters, but like, can we have some original thought, please? Can we investigate things for ourselves, please? Can we think about things? Can we ask questions? Why do we just listen to what Stu Peters says or Alex Jones or anybody for that matter? Now everybody like parrot, it's Kanye West. He's saying it. Yeah, he's saying that. Yeah, so I've been saying the same thing. Other people have been saying the same thing. We don't get the attention. Yeah, I know I'm not Kanye West. I'm not yay. But like, I'm not just, I'm not, I'm not saying these things because he's saying them. I've been saying them for 13 years. Gets me uh, a little bit fired up because the alternative media is just as bad as the mainstream media. And if you can control certain aspects of the flow of information in the alternative community, you can control the same flow of information there. You can control the outcome just like you do in the mainstream. And that's why you see the alternative media, the independent media, becoming very much like the mainstream media. I don't think that's really a disputable thing. So you only need to control a little bit. I'm not sure if you would consider this to be the control that you would need in little tiny bits and pieces in certain areas to influence the outcome of an election. But what about Joe Biden asking Saudi Arabia to postpone OPEC's decision to reduce oil production by a month so that it would 
be stated uh, in a press release. Um, it would be announced after the midterm election. What about Joe Biden and his marijuana pardon proclamation, which doesn't actually really do anything to help anybody? What about the Supreme Court deciding on the 10th of November, two days, or not the Supreme Court, excuse me, a federal judge deciding on November 10th, two days after the midterm election, that the student loan forgiveness is actually illegal and the president doesn't have that authority. Now it's going to go to the Supreme Court. Could those things in any way, shape, or form influence people's opinion to vote for Democrats? Yeah, I think so. And that is one of the ways in which you tamper with a free and fair election. A lot more on that when we come back from break. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Stay with us. The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. From Ground Zero to the Secret Teachings. Keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. If you'd like to hear more of the Secret Teachings, if you missed a show or part of a show, sign up to the ever-expanding archive at thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe for a month or a year, you get access to the full show archive to every show after it airs. You can download and stream unlimited episodes and share your login with friends or family. With your subscription, you can also get access on the website to all of Ryan's digital books and the ever-growing montage archive. Just visit thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donate Subscribe tab at the top of the page. Use the secure PayPal link and start your membership today. By subscribing, you support The Secret Teachings, Ryan, and yourself. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. If anyone can hear this broadcast, I'm still on Earth. This is the frequency of Ground Zero Radio, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, and The Secret Teachings with myself, Brian Gable. You are listening to The Secret Teachings Radio, final segment tonight. I'm Ryan Gable, your host. I would like to ask you a question. If you wanted to, theoretically, rig an election, it's a question, it's not an implication, it's a question. If you wanted to do that, how would you do that? Well, you probably wouldn't do it by controlling every single person involved in the process. You probably wouldn't have to rig every single machine. You probably wouldn't have to control every single county. 
you probably wouldn't even have to control all the media. You would just need to calculate generally what you would probably need to win by. You would need to get your hand uh, hands on a number of blank ballots. You would need to calculate the number of the percentage of machines that maybe need to be tampered with. I mean, ultimately, a very small number of all of this. And then you could nudge, not rig, not even engage in widespread fraud, but just nudge, like gravity, chaos, just needs a little push. You could just nudge it in the direction that you needed it to be nudged in. This is what happens. We see this in the modern day. We see this throughout history. We're seeing it right now in Brazil. This is what happens when corruption becomes the rule of law. And this is what happens when tyranny becomes God. And this is what happens when republics collapse. This is what happens when the average person supports, as Alexander Teitler said, when the average person realizes they can vote for themselves, i.e. vote for people that will just give them free stuff, the entirety of the system collapses. Because when you realize you're actually voting for yourself rather than voting for the rule of law and people that have really good ideas, then you just want whatever you can get out of the system itself, out of the public treasury. When the Biden administration asked Saudi Arabia back in early October, true statement, true story, very factual. CNBC News reported this. When the Biden administration asked Saudi Arabia to postpone the OPEC decision to cut oil production and to postpone that decision by a month, do you think that that has anything to do with influencing people's perception or people's view on candidates and a political party, one in particular, for the upcoming, at that point, less than a month away, midterm election. CNBC reported the Biden administration asked Saudi Arabia, the de facto leader of oil produce uh, of oil producing uh, group, the oil producing group OPEC, to delay its decision on oil output by a month. Notably, Biden's request would have delayed the decision until after the U.S. midterm elections. That's CNBC reporting. Do you think that this could perhaps by itself influence an election? Probably not. I don't think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to, at least in mass, not vote for Democrats just because, you know, gas prices went up. So that might not have much of an effect. How about when we add the marijuana pardon into the equation on October 25th. So this was just a few weeks later, October 25th, president Joe Biden issued a proclamation pardoning certain individuals previously charged with or convicted of simple marijuana possession offenses under federal and Washington DC law. The irony in this is that according to a senior administration official working in the Biden administration, Quote, there are no individuals currently in federal prison solely for simple possession of marijuana. The pardon does not apply to anyone in jail for violating state or local law. 
In addition, the Department of Justice has said the pardon will not apply to federal charges for simple possession offenses committed after October 6th. Think about that for a second. Biden's proclamation grants a full, complete, and unconditional pardon to people who were U.S. citizens or lawful permanent residents at the time they committed or were convicted of simple possession of marijuana in violation of either the Federal Controlled Substances Act or D.C. Code 48904.01 and then D1 are the subsections. In other words, the Marijuana Pardon Proclamation doesn't do anything. Because according to the same administration, there are no individuals in federal prison solely for the purpose, uh, or the possession, I should say, uh, but solely for the possession of marijuana. Solely for the purpose of having been arrested and convicted of just, just having marijuana. Because most, quote, marijuana convictions come alongside of other things like breaking the law, state or federal. Breaking local laws. Most of those convictions are just like, tacked on to other major things. I mean, you may, you might have like a marijuana conviction, but you also might have tried to kill somebody. You also might have raped somebody. You know, you might have done something else is the point. I don't know what these other people were convicted of. But the point is, the administration says, there are no individuals currently in federal prison solely for simple possession of marijuana. That's why the proclamation says, a full, complete, and unconditional pardon of people who were convicted of simple possession of marijuana. But there is nobody in federal prison solely for marijuana possession. People are not arrested and put into federal prison because they have marijuana. That's not a thing. In other words, Joe Biden's proclamation is, as some people say, it's a nothing burger. It is an empty box. It's a half-truth. I'm going to pardon all the people who have been convicted of simple possession of marijuana in federal prison. Yeah, Mr. President, yeah, protect our marijuana. The catch is there aren't any people in federal prison solely for the charge of marijuana, at least according to the administration. I don't know what the records are, but that's what the administration says. Out of one mouth, they say, we're pardoning these people out of the other side of their mouth, or the other mouth, two mouths, out of the other side of their mouth, out of the other mouth, they say, actually, there are no people in prison solely for, in federal prison solely for possession of marijuana. Do you think that the marijuana pardon proclamation could have any kind of impact on the way people vote? Some people, sure. Probably not enough to swing people to, you know, to win an election, though. But when you combine together the OPEC postponement secret that's an actual conspiracy. The conspiracy to get OPEC to delay their announcement of reducing oil production until after the midterms. When you combine that with another conspiracy, the marijuana pardon proclamation that actually doesn't pardon anybody, then you might have a few more people that are likely to, because the Democratic Party said gas prices were coming down before the midterms. Yes, they're also responsible largely for them going up. But nevertheless, this could certainly sway some people to vote a certain way, couldn't it? Probably not enough to swing an election, though. But what about the postponement of student loans? Two days after the election, federal judge in Texas declared the forgiveness plan was unlawful. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit on Wednesday, this was just this past week, denied a request by the Justice Department to put a hold on that ruling, 
while the court considers the merits of the administration's appeal. A loan relief plan would cancel up to $10,000 in federal student debt for borrowers earning up to $125,000 annually, or up to $250,000 for married couples. Those who receive Pell Grants are eligible for an additional $10,000 in forgiveness. I have a friend of mine, and uh, he was living here in, in Tucson, Arizona. He's originally from uh, Flagstaff area, Arizona. And we got together with him and uh, his uh, partner. I say partner, they're not married, but they're a girl. Uh, about to actually have a baby. And uh, I don't think they listen to the show, but if they do, I'd like to give a shout out to my friend Peyton, uh, who moved back to the uh, hellhole that is Rochester, New York. Uh, Peyton and I were out. We all went out, uh, the four of us, and we were taking a hike. And we were talking about the student loan forgiveness. And I said, Peyton, he's not going to be able to forgive the student loan uh, debt because he doesn't have the authority to do that. And Peyton's a cool guy. Peyton's kind of very libertarian. And and he said, well, I mean, I I hope that that's the case, but I hope what you're saying is not true. I said, well, mark my words, they're not going to be able to do it because it's not legal. It's not constitutional. And then I read this two days after the midterms. I wouldn't even be surprised if this federal judge was threatened or influenced to hold off on the decision until after the midterms. Don't you find that suspicious? Two days after the midterms. Oh, yeah, by the way, all that student loan forgiveness that you went out and rabidly and obsessively, compulsively smashed the vote for Democrat button. Get rid of my student loans. Get rid of the marijuana charges. Get rid of the, you know, this and that. And then it turns out, oh, they're actually actually going to, they're not, (laughs) they're not actually going to remove your student loan debt. Oops. However, the Supreme Court is going to look over the legality of the forgiveness program. The Washington Post posted this. I love the um, audacity of the Washington Post. In 2021, the court, that's the Supreme Court, revoked a national moratorium on evictions imposed by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Yeah, because it was illegal. It was unlawful. It was unconstitutional. The CDC can't tell people that you can't evict other people for not paying their rent. They say that started during the Trump administration and was extended by Biden. The, uh, in January of this year, 2022, the Supreme Court halted the administration's vaccination or testing requirement for the nation's largest employers, saying such a command exceeded the authority of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. It does. They act like this is a violation of the rule of law. People call the Supreme Court fascist. I don't agree with every decision the Supreme Court makes, but they're one of the major branches of government. They allow, hopefully, for some system of some level of checks and balances. If we didn't have the Supreme Court, imagine what would be happening. Imagine just the vaccine mandate. This is, this is why we don't have a king. This is why we don't have you know, a dictator. By whatever definition, this is why we don't have an emperor. We have a rule of law, not a democracy. Now the Supreme Court's going to look at this. Do you think that that might have influenced some people? I actually know it did influence some people because I have a friend of mine that lives in West Virginia and he, he, he texted me and he said, right when Biden announced this a few months ago, he's like, look at these dumb mother effers. <laughs> he's, he said, here in Morgantown, uh, West Virginia, where they have WVU, big party school. He said, he's like, there's kids like all over town. They're selling, some of these kids are still in college. They're celebrating, going out and you know drinking and going out and there were people having parties because of the student loan forgiveness. And I was like, are these, are these kids actually retarded people? All the president did was say, I'm going to forgive the student loan debt. And people go out and party and spend a bunch of money. 
That doesn't make any sense. The president saying something doesn't make it true. The president can say anything that doesn't make it lawful or legal. And now a judge has said, oh, you can't do that. That's you don't have the authority to do that. And he, then he says it, though, on the 10th, two days after the election. So how many of those brain dead morons went out and voted Democrat, Democrat, Democrat? Get rid of the marijuana possession charges. Get rid of my student loan debt. Take responsibility for me. And then after you vote Democrat, 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 there, that shows the Nazis. The rule of law says, actually, they don't have authority to do any of those things. And those are meaningless proclamations, meaningless declarations, meaningless mandates. Um, things are going to stay the way that they were. Now, I don't know how the Supreme Court's going to respond to this when they they hear it they're I guess they're expediting the case but I would imagine if the Supreme Court says actually you don't have the authority to do that there's going to be people protesting hey hey ho ho fascist scum has got to go because they upheld the rule of law I mean if you can find in the Constitution where the president has authority go read the article and tell me where the president has the authority to do this then by all means but you can't because it's not there and even if the Supreme Court decides that the president has some level of authority and see, that's what that's what it really is all about, because the argument is this. The argument is this. They can do it. Simply because of emergencies. Well, for example, uh, Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelogger said Congress authorized the secretary of education to respond to national emergencies uh, by providing relief to affected student loan borrowers. Oh, are they using the Trump-era emergency declaration, which Congress has voted to end and the Biden administration has continued to extend? Are they using the COVID emergency declaration precedent, Caesar-like precedent, to relieve student loan debt? And one of the reasons we have to relieve student loan debt is because, oh, there's just so much so much cost to living. We can't afford things. Prices are going up. It's because of Putin's war and gas station owners that are greedy and all that stuff. And we did give you a bunch of money during the pandemic. And, you know, that obviously factors into it. And all the money we're giving Ukraine, that factors into inflation and people's trust in the market and the dollar and things like that. But um, we got to forgive this, these loans because it's people are just it's real tough times. Yeah, because you created the tough times. You know, it's like that, um, was it Bill Hicks? Remember Bill Hicks, the comedian? Bill Hicks said something. He was talking about the Bush administration, the original Bush administration uh, in the 90s. And he said something about Bush was like, yeah, we know we know Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. He's like, well, how do you know that, Mr. Bush? He's like, well, we got receipts. Because you, you sold him. Weapons. You, you sold him military equipment. He didn't have weapons of mass destruction, but you sold him that stuff. Why? Why? I mean, why would people need to have their loans forgiven under the state of emergency that we're in? Oh, prices are high because you have the receipts. You're the reason prices are high. You're, you're the reason that we're still under an emergency. And Trump didn't do anything about that. Do you think that maybe that would influence people to vote a certain way? Oh, absolutely it would. I know people who would vote just because of the student loan forgiveness, even though they don't understand the most basic economic principles. They don't understand the most basic legal principles. They don't understand the most basic constitutional principles. The president doesn't have that authority. Now it has to go to the Supreme Court, and we have to waste time with this because morons want to have their student loan debt forgiven because, oh, it's not fair. I, have, I took out a loan. Well, in some cases, maybe it's not. 
You, you might have been under duress, but that's not what they're arguing. They're arguing that the president has the authority to do it, which he doesn't. If, I mean, I would, if I was arguing this case, I would argue that most of these kids are under duress and don't know what they're signing. But they're not arguing that. That would be a logical thing to argue. That would be the liberal thing to argue. But they're not arguing that. They're arguing the president just has unilateral authority to do whatever. Right? That's the same thought process of Cortez when she says, just use the presidential pen to do whatever we can't get passed in Congress. You mean subvert Congress and use the executive authority as a dictatorship? You know, when they said in the Senate, let's just eliminate the filibuster to get laws passed that we want to pass. So, so you mean overriding congressional procedures so that you can issue dictatorial decrees? Just absolving the Senate and giving Caesar all the power. We should pack the Supreme Court so they vote the way we want them to vote. Well, that's not the way that the system is supposed to work. Hitler also did that, by the way. He packed the Supreme Court. So maybe if you tell OPEC, hold off on that decision until after the midterms. Maybe if you tell people, we're going to pardon those marijuana convictions in federal prison, although nobody's in federal prison solely for marijuana convictions. Maybe if you tell people we're going to forgive your student loan debt and then it comes out after the election, actually, they're not going to do that. At least now, the Supreme Court's going to look at it. President does have the authority under the emergency to just postpone it. But again, that emergency is illegitimate. It should have been revoked and Congress has voted to end it. It should have been revoked uh, months and months and months ago. And that brings us to the proverbial cherry on top. The New York Post published an article on Friday, or excuse me, this was Thursday. Secret Service has Hunter Biden gun probe docs it denied having. In October of 2018, Hunter Biden's sister-in-law turned uh, turned lover, Haley Biden, uh, Hunter Biden's sister-in-law turned lover. That's you, uh, you heard that right. Haley Biden allegedly tossed Hunter's 38 caliber revolver into a dumpster outside a grocery store in Wilmington, Delaware. Haley who had been married to Hunter's late brother, Bue Biden, reportedly claimed in text messages that she was afraid her boyfriend would use the gun. Secret Service says suddenly they've located the hundreds of pages of records, reportedly 400 pages, related to the investigation of the gun belonging to Hunter Biden, despite having denied that they existed. Judicial Watch is now investigating whether the Secret Service intervened on behalf of President Biden's son after the incident and it has sued the agency for all materials related to the reported purchase, possession, and disposal of the firearm owned by Hunter Biden. A very small story, big implications. The Secret Service is doing the footwork for Hunter Biden. The Washington Times reported this. Maybe you don't like the Washington Times. I just simply like the summary of the story. Uh, But this was on Friday. Elon Musk, internal documents from Twitter, the Twitter files, as they call them. Company documents show... What led the company, Twitter, to suppress posts sharing the Hunter Biden laptop story just weeks before the 2020 presidential election? Musk shared those documents with independent journalist Matt Taibbi, or I think his name is T-A-I-B-B-I, Tabi. Here's what those documents show. The documents portray company executives plotting their course in response to the New York Post story exposing the now widely authenticated laptop. Remember they said it didn't exist? It was all Russian disinformation. I've got the clip on that. Just one moment, I'll play it for you. The documents show Twitter executives often acted on requests from both political parties, but largely from Democrats. One executive would write to another, more to review from the Biden team, quote unquote. They would reply back, quote, handled. 
So the federal government went to Twitter and said, these are accounts you need to review. These are tweets you need to review. And Twitter execs said, we'll get right on that. We're going to handle that. The Biden team went to Twitter, encouraged, perhaps threatened, worked with them willingly. Twitter did. To suppress information, to suppress stories, to suppress individuals on this giant platform in order to prevent the story of Hunter Biden laptop that they call disinformation and Russian propaganda from harming Joe Biden's presidential campaign. Here, take a listen to what Joe Biden had to say about this uh, quite a while ago. 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is has all the care Four, five former heads of the CIA. Both parties say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. This is classic Trump. We have four days left and all of a sudden there's a laptop. There's overwhelming evidence that from the intelligence community that the Russians are engaged. Well, there you go. There you have a couple of the examples. Oh, it turns out not only was the laptop real, not only were the emails real, not only was there a pay to play scheme, not only did it have to do with Ukraine, not only did it have to do with basically what's happening with FTX, laundering money to the Democratic Party through the corrupt Nazi oligarchs in Ukraine. But now the release documents from Twitter show that Twitter directly was working with the federal government, with the Biden administration to censor the story, or I should say the Biden campaign. But they knew they would be the administration because they rigged public opinion. They rigged the narrative. They rigged the search engines. Google was rigged. Twitter was rigged. Facebook was rigged, etc. And they took orders directly from the Biden team. This is also just this week, an FBI agent, Special Agent Elvis Chan, testified to Republican attorneys, uh, Republican attorney generals this week, that the FBI held weekly meetings with big tech companies in Silicon Valley ahead of the 2020 presidential election to discuss disinformation on social media and ask about efforts to censor that information. Remember, CEO Mark Zuckerberg of Meta or Facebook said the FBI basically came to us, told us to be on high alert. There was a lot of Russian propaganda. There's about to be some kind of dump, etc. And told us to censor that story. So Facebook was directed by the FBI. Twitter was directed by the Biden team and the FBI to suppress and to trash that story, which turns out now is not only true, but has much more severe and deep and disturbing uh, connections, money laundering, corrupt business deals. Of course, the Ashley Biden diary is a completely separate thing where she's taking a shower with her dad inappropriately and all that. The iCloud account. Remember the iCloud account? I've got a copy of that here somewhere too. And I believe it was Secret Service responds to graphic Hunter Biden photos and videos from his iCloud account. That was in July. So iCloud account, the diary, the laptop, uh, the big guy, Joe Biden, the big guy, probably Joe Biden. The text messages where his kids have to pay him most of their salary. It's kind of like SpongeBob, right? SpongeBob goes up to Patrick. He's like, well, it's, it's, it's great, Patrick. When I started working at the Krusty Krab, I had to pay Mr. Krabs like $100 an hour. <laughs> Not $50. I had to pay him $100 an hour. 
New York Times, by the way, reported in September 2019, big tech companies meeting with U.S. officials on 2020 election security. Type that in New York Times out of San Francisco. Facebook, Google, Twitter, Microsoft met with government officials in Silicon Valley to discuss and cooperate on how best to help secure the 2020 American election, kicking off what is likely to be a a marathon effort to prevent the kind of foreign interference that roiled the 2016 election. So elections can be interfered with. Elections can be fraudulent. The Russians just couldn't get it done in 2020, though, or in 2008, for that matter, or 2012. And now these documents from Twitter just reaffirm and confirm and confirm and confirm again and again and again that the Biden team, that the corrupt controllers that manipulate and control the Biden family, that uh, the international groups that control Biden, the big banks, the corporations, the Nazis in Ukraine, they all work together to suppress those stories, to suppress that information. I've got an email in front of me here. If you uh, ask for it, I can send it to you. 15 minutes into the recording of this conversation, uh, this is the conversation uh, between Joe Biden and Poroshenko of Ukraine where he's threatening Poroshenko saying, don't let Trump figure out what we're doing. Don't let him get access you know, to information that you know, he could get, um, he could look into the money. To pour more money into Ukraine. That's how he'll think about it before he gets sophisticated enough to know the detail. So anything you can do to push the, the, the private bank uh, um, to closure so that the IMF loan comes forward, I would respectfully suggest is critically important to your economic as well as physical security. It's definitely, uh, uh, that's, I mean, I don't know what that sounds like to you. Kind of sounds like a threat to me. I've also got the clip of him, you know, son of a bitch. So basically not only the big guy and the drugs and the prostitution and the porn and the children and the art deals and the barisma money laundering of FTX, the Twitter documents, Mark Zuckerberg saying the FBI came to him as well, censored the story. That could certainly not only alter people's perception, that could prevent people from realizing what they're voting for, therefore changing their perception, changing their vote. That could influence the outcome of an election. And they've become so sophisticated at this that Biden conspires to go behind the scenes and tell OPEC, delay your decision to decrease oil production until after the midterms. Biden says, I'm going to issue a marijuana proclamation right after that, mid-October. Then an administration official says, actually, there's no individuals in federal prison solely for simple marijuana possession. So it doesn't affect anybody. Then two days after the midterm elections, a judge comes forward and says, oh, by the way, that student loan forgiveness Biden told you about, that's illegal. He can't do that. Now it's going to the Supreme Court. So maybe censoring that story maybe conspiring to keep the oil news out of the public's consciousness, out of their awareness, maybe promising people free money and marijuana and getting rid of your student loan debt, maybe giving people free stuff, maybe promising to let people live immoral lives, maybe promising to do all these wonderful things, to use nice words while you're showering with your daughter. Maybe all that stuff... And suppressing all that additional stuff like the business dealing, the big guy and the phone calls, the Poroshenko and the son of a bitch fire, the prosecutor extorting Ukraine for billion dollars. Um, maybe that could persuade people to vote a particular way in an election. 
I don't know, maybe putting Jim Baker, the former general counsel for the FBI, in charge of or partly in charge of what gets censored on Twitter. Maybe that could influence an election. Maybe somebody like Vijaya Gade, that lady that friends with Hillary Clinton, who was basically running the operation, censoring the Hunter Biden laptop story, suspending the former president, Donald Trump, banning American citizens from criticizing the establishment. Maybe people like um, Vijaya Gade, maybe they could have perhaps influenced people's opinions. I don't know. You tell me. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's a lot more after this coming up Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this week. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. Subscribe to the show archive. Grab a copy of one of my books, www.thesecretteachings.info. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I hope that you really enjoyed the show. Have a good night, good morning, good afternoon, whenever and wherever you are listening around the world. And we'll talk to you on the next broadcast. Broadcast.